Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Welcome to another episode of Off the Post. I'm your host, John Mattis, and today in studio, in the flesh, I have Matt Larkin of the Hockey News. How's it going, Matt? Good, John. I'm happy to be here as a real live person you can stare at and look at. (laughs) The majority of the episodes are done via phone, so it's nice to actually have a living thing in front of me instead of a screen and me staring at a wall while I'm talking to a microphone and the other person's talking on the phone, so it's great. It's true. It's a throwback to the analog era, except <laughs> this is digital, so whoa. It's a yeah, this is uh, very trippy. And you used to live near the office, so you know there's there's a lot of layers here. It's true. I'm, I'm getting a rush of memories. <laughs> I walked past the McDonald's outside the building. It made me think of many trips that I made there. May or may not have been at 2 a.m., but uh, I'll leave it at that. I was a bit younger, okay? That's fair. And now you're you're all grown up. You got you got a kid and a wife. And <laughs> I remember seeing you at the start of the season. Well, I don't know if you called the start of the season, but in August at the BioSteel camp, and it was early in the morning. I'm like, hey, how's it going? You're like, oh, I haven't really slept much because you just had a kid. And it seems like such a long season. I know that doesn't te- technically count as the start of the season, but it feels like it. Well, it's funny. It's a long season, but in year one, it's season one. It's my rookie season of being a parent. So because of ah. that. The whole season's a blur. I feel like Austin Matthews was scoring four goals <laughs> yesterday, and here we go. It's he all just 40. one day. Yeah, all one day. Just just blurred together now. Yeah, and then now the playoffs are here, and obviously um, I had you in to talk about the playoffs. Not your parenting, sorry. Um, but I uh, talked to Eric Francis about the west side of the bracket yesterday, and then you, the east side. And uh, we'll start with Washington and Toronto, and a series that's not getting... Uh, too many disagreements because, you know, powerhouse juggernaut versus team that wasn't supposed to make the playoffs. What What's your take on that series? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we can overthink this one. Washington is a powerhouse. They're the President's Trophy winner. We even got to see that little sample size last week. I mean, the Leafs are a good offensive hockey team, and Washington just last week completely smothered them. And to me, what makes this Washington team so special is, yes, we know about the offense. We know about Braden Holpe. That's been there for several years. But this season... The defense is so much better. It's They're the best defensive team in hockey. Uh, and, and now they're the most complete team in the NHL. They are the real deal. They are my Stanley Cup pick. And it's nothing against the Leafs. I think the Leafs, they're way ahead of schedule. It's fantastic for them. It, it does suck for the Leafs and, and their fans that they, they blew it against Columbus on the last day of the season because if they went into that Atlantic Division side of the bracket, who knows? They might have been able to make noise. I would have picked them over Ottawa personally. But against Washington, I do think you have that sort of happy-to-be-there series 
Um, the good news for the Leafs from their perspective, there's no pressure on them, and obviously no team has more pressure this season than Washington. They're supposed to finally do it. They're supposed to stop choking. They're supposed to get to round three or round four. Uh, the Leafs, I mean, the kids are going to be loose, um, but I don't think it matters in this case. I think Washington is just so deep. They can beat you in so many ways. They have size. They have speed. They have a deep defense core. They have the best goaltender in the playoffs, um, you know, between Braden Holtby and Carey Price yeah. probably. Um, they can just win in so many ways. So I, I think the Leafs, maybe they steal a game. Maybe they come out and steal game one. Maybe they have a lot of jump and they're excited and there's no pressure. Um, but I, I, to me, this is a short series, maybe a five-gamer. Yeah, I have it down as a five-gamer. And I think they might steal a game because, well, one, you know, how many times have we, I don't know if, we, I don't know if the right phrase has counted out the Leafs, but thought, oh, you know, this is all too good to be true. They're going to come back to reality and be that bottom feeder team but they just keep getting better awesome Matthews kept getting better Marner was way better than advertised and it all kind of came together with them clinching a playoff and then or a playoff spot but then now I think with their their high event hockey that gets you in a lot of trouble with the Washington team and I don't know I, I think I think you know Anderson might be able to steal a game and like I said if you mix in you know the the kids and the amount of skill they have you never know, uh, but this series is the easiest one to pick. And I haven't seen anyone trying to pick the Leafs and having some sort of hot take about it because it's just best team versus arguably, well, yeah, arguably the worst team in the playoffs. Right. I mean, the only thing I'd say is I, I don't think that the Leafs are the worst team in the playoffs. I think the Leafs, if you look at the peripheral numbers, they've shown a lot of signs of being not a great hockey team, but a legitimately good hockey team. Um, their possession numbers, they're a top 10 team in the league. They're number one on the offensive side of the puck. If you look at the score zone, venue adjusted Corsi, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Offensively, they're actually number one in the league, ahead of even Boston. Like you said, though, John, high event. So on the defensive side of the puck, they allow a lot of shot attempts. Um, but at the same time, I mean, a lot of those peripheral numbers are there. And, I mean, the Leafs have an elite power play. They're good, they're good in penalty killing. They're one of the best teams in the league at the double combination of special teams. They're very well coached. Uh, so they're a legitimate team. They just happen to be facing the best team in the league. Uh, so picking them to lose in five games to me is not a vote of non-confidence uh, toward the Leafs. It's just a vote of confidence toward the best team in hockey, Washington. Yeah, and um, if we look at the Capitals and a couple of the players on their team, uh, Kuznetsov is one guy that I'm looking forward to watch because he hasn't fared so well in the playoffs and he had a great regular season. It seems like this is sort of his opportunity to redeem himself he's so young that seems like dramatic but um he's becoming a star in the league and if you want to be a legitimate star you have to produce in the playoffs to some degree so I'm, I'm I got my eye on him a little bit and Matt Niskanen too he had a great season kind of under the radar Norris Trophy type season um and then like you said the power plays Washington's is great Toronto's is great it'll be fun to watch uh you know William Nylander is dynamite on the power play and then obviously the Capitals have been so good so long on the power play with Ovechkin, Backstrom, and everything. So this the way I'm looking at the series is that it might be the most entertaining, uh, but I don't think it'll last very long, and there's not much intrigue in terms of uh, rivalry or anything like that. Yeah, and I think it's going to be a breathtaking series in terms of just the quality of skill on the ice. And like you said, Jenny Kuznetsov has got an otherworldly level of talent. He's a frustrating player because he was so good last year. He was a top 10 scorer. He disappeared in the playoffs completely, and that carried over to the start of this season. The end numbers were, they were not bad, 59 points, but a far cry from 77 last year. 
He's such an enigma, and he's a guy who could completely dominate a series or he could disappear. Um, but what sort of summarizes Washington this year is that Kuznetsov could disappear and it wouldn't even affect the Caps because they have so many good players. Nicholas Backstrom, still somehow underrated. He's played in one All-Star game in his career, one of the best players in the league, great two-way player. Alex Ovechkin started playing better down the stretch. Now you've got Kevin Shattenkirk added to that power play, which is just, like, unfair. It's a, it's a video <laughs> game situation. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, you've got TJ Oshie breaking 30 goals for the first time yeah. in his career. Marcus Johansson had 58 points. He, no one talks about Marcus Johansson. He's a pretty good player, too. You have Justin Williams. You have Mr. Game 7, or as Nicholas Backstrom told me to call him, <laughs> Mr. Perfect. Apparently, wow. it's Mr. Game 7. Mr. Perfect is better. But there are just so many guys that can hurt you. And then this year, obviously, Washington added Lars Eller. So they have that shutdown center, that shutdown third-line guy, an element they didn't have to the same degree last year. There's just so many weapons on the ice. And, but it's true. I mean, skill-wise, the Leafs are going to be fun. I'm sure we're going we're gonna to see some exciting plays from William Nylander, exciting plays from Austin Matthews. Um, if I'm a Leafs fan, what I'm hoping to see is a bit of maturity. Because down the stretch, uh, when the Leafs finally started to feel pressure, I think they unraveled a little bit. And when they stumbled, they lost to Tampa Bay, they lost to Columbus, they lost to Washington. And you started seeing them break out of their system. They started home run passes, lazy cross-ice cross, cross ice passes, trying to you know spring a guy in a breakaway on one pass. Um, so what you don't want to see in the series now, now the pressure's off. There's no reason why the Leafs should be forcing plays like that. If they do, it's going to be a really short series, maybe even a sweep. And Alex Ovechkin quietly only scored 33 goals this year, but I think it was quietly because the rest of the team kind of carried carried the weight and I don't think Ovechkin played poorly I just think maybe sometimes even when you're an elite shooter the bounces don't go your way and who knows maybe the explosion comes in the playoffs right I, I don't think anyone would be surprised by that yeah I think there are two possible narratives with Ovi one is just he's you know he's getting into his 30s and he's getting older and maybe his prime is simply ending which is fine I mean it happens um, the second narrative is he's bored with the regular season. <laughs> That's and, a great narrative. Yeah, and he, he, he decided <laughs> to save it all, and he's going to go bananas in the postseason. He's going to break Reggie Leach's goal-scoring record and score 20 goals in the playoffs. Who knows? Who knows? It could be the latter. I don't. I have no idea. I like Reggie Leach. Uh, you just dropped the dropped a trivia a vintage bomb. a vintage name there. All right, let's move on to a series where we can maybe disagree, maybe not. Uh, Ottawa, Boston. Who are you taking? I'm taking Boston, um, and I'm pretty bearish on the Ottawa Senators. And I'm sorry, Sens fans, it's nothing personal. I hope you understand, but I'm a big believer in the correlation between the analytics and the success in the playoffs. We've seen it often in recent years. And Ottawa is down there with the New York Rangers as the worst possession teams in the postseason. And Ottawa is so dependent on Eric Carlson, they struggle to push the play without him. And the one guy that does a great job of pushing the play on the team, Eric Carlson, is not necessarily 100% healthy. I think that's a big problem. Boston's a physical team, and if I'm the Bruins, my game plan is just to pound away at Carlson. Guys like David Backes and Matt Bolesky and Jimmy Hayes just bludgeon Carlson every chance I get, especially if he seems to be hurting. Um, so with Carlson not necessarily at his best right now physically, that, that's a weakness I think Boston can exploit. Um, Craig Anderson is a great goaltender. Um, he's got one of the highest save percentages in NHL history in the playoffs. I think it's number two all time the last time I checked. So maybe he steals a game. But it's not like Boston has a slouch at the other end of the ice in Tuka Rask. And the Bruins, they got that top line, Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand. And they have depth as well because you got David Krejci and David Pasternak playing on the second line, that nice check connection there. Uh, if there's a weakness that Ottawa can try to exploit, it's got to be Boston's defense because Brandon Carlo's out, Tory Krug, it looks like he's going to be out at least for the start of the series. So the Bruins' blue line is looking kind of banged up and sort of a band-aid situation right now. 
Um, but at the same time, the rest of their team is strong enough that I think they're going to beat Ottawa in about six games. Mine is Ottawa in seven. Ooh. And you touched on the main point of, of my counter-argument is that they're so banged up on the back end with Krug and Carlo. Those guys eat up 42 minutes a night. And then the number one defenseman is Zdeno Chara, not exactly you know in elite form these days. He's fine, but it's not like it's, I don't know, it's a Carlson or a Hedman or, or someone who can kind of uh, make up for the, the number two and the number three being out. So that's super concerning. And then Charlie McAvoy is filling in temporarily. We'll see how he does. I, I'm, a, I'm a Charlie McAvoy fan, but I don't know about being thrown into the playoffs and, you know, how, what, what could your expectations really be if you're, the, if you're the Bruins? I mean, going straight from college to game one of the first round, that's a lot to ask. Um, and that's, that's really the X factor for me. I think the two teams were eh, pretty close. Uh, like, overall, I like Boston better as a team, and I think they're a stronger team. But I think just the loss of those two D-men, you know, kind of tilts, tilts the series in Ottawa's way. And I think Anderson's just played so well this year that he can he can stand the fort and with Guy Boucher like there's sort of a Guy Boucher effect going on where the team has completely done a 180 with their numbers uh their defensive team for once and I don't know I, I don't think Ottawa's you know going far in the playoffs but I just think the Bruins are vulnerable and they can pounce on them and somehow Alex Burroughs and Victor Stahlberg have become good trade deadline acquisitions I was making fun of them when they have and I'm like how is this going to move the needle? I'm not going to say they've made a huge difference, but now you look at their depth's a lot better than it was, uh, you know, before March. It's true. And may, hey, maybe Burroughs can bait uh, Zdeno Char and Brad Marchand <laughs> into, a, into a fight or a pest off with Marchand. Um, I'm, I'm glad you did mention Charlie McAvoy, and I think he, he's an X factor in this series. Um, and it's true. We have no idea how he's going to do. He's never even played in the NHL before. But if anybody's going to make this jump, I think McAvoy is the type. He's got a lot of swagger to his game. I, I, I did a story on him recently for the Hockey News, and I interviewed him. And the one thing I came away with, and even talking to his coach at BU, um, he's got some swagger to his game. He's kind of, to me, he reminds me of a Drew Doughty kind of player. Okay. He has a bit of everything. He's got a low base. He can hit. He can score. He can shoot the puck. He's a leader. Um, apparently, he's very funny and has an infectious personality in the dressing room. So I, I think of all those factors, and I to me, if there's any – young kid that you can drop into a situation like that that's going to flourish, it's McAvoy. And we've seen it in Boston before. Tory Krug, a few years ago, 2013. That's true. He went right to the playoffs as a rookie, and all of a sudden he was a sensation. He never looked back. Uh, and, and at the same time, you know, if, if your defense core is depleted and you have to rely on your forwards to play better defensive hockey, the person you're asking to do that is <laughs> Patrice Bergeron. Yeah, that's an hey, R.A. choice. You, hey, Patrice, can you back check? <laughs> no problem, guys. I got this. So I think Boston's going to find a way. I still think they're the more talented team. And uh, Ottawa's top-end forwards, I mean, Mike Hoffman, Mar I'm a big fan of Mark Stone, um, but the depth there doesn't blow me away, especially because Bobby Ryan, uh, he's just not the same guy he was in Anaheim, you know? He, he's he got to be up there in the Mount Rushmore of bad contracts, current <laughs> contracts. I think he's like, he still has six or seven years at $7 million. It's It's beyond ugly at this point, the Bobby Ryan situation in Ottawa. And it, they traded Silverberg for him, did they not? They did. I'm just. This yeah. is all coming to me right now. That's horrendous, really, in, in hindsight. But you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened with Bobby Ryan. If you think about it, where he was uh, before the trade, or at least a year before the trade, it it just seems like a different player. 
Yeah, maybe maybe he just overheard what Brian Burke said about him in that <laughs> Olympic meeting, and it oh. just crushed his confidence. So, you know, Bobby Ryan can't can't what spell intense. Intensity, yeah. Who knows? Right. I, I have no explanation <laughs> for it, but he's just fallen off a cliff this year, especially. Okay, so we're going uh, different ways on that series. I have a feeling we probably go different ways too on Montreal, New York. Um, I'm Mon- I'm sorry, I'm New York in six. Okay, I'm the Habs in seven. Here okay, we go there again. You go. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. See, the West was uh, me and Eric Francis did it yesterday, and there was only one series we disagreed on: uh, Minnesota, St. Louis. I find the East a, more of a toss-up, aside from Washington and, and Toronto. Yeah, it's true. There's a lot of series that look like borderline corn flip, uh, corn flips, coin <laughs> flips. Uh, Flipping some corn in the field. That's right. You can flip corn too if you want. I mean, as long as it's got two different sides. Um, but to me, the Habs Rangers is a tight series. Um, but again, I mean, I, I know I keep falling back on the analytics, but the Habs are strong in that regard, and the Rangers are weak in that regard. And also, to me, the number one factor in this series is goaltending. And Henrik Lundqvist, he's lost it. He's 35 years old. He's had health problems this year. He was terrible in the playoffs last year. He got chased from the net multiple times in that first-round loss. Um, and I don't know if he's recovered from that. And this is the first time, maybe in his entire NHL career, that he didn't really recover from a slow start because Hank, he was known for slow starts and he'd go gangbusters in the second half. It didn't really happen this time around because he got derailed by an injury. Uh, he, was, he wasn't very good when he came back. And we were talking about this in the Hockey News office. Antti Ranta might be the better goalie on that team right now. Um, but from a pride standpoint, you can't take your $8.5 million goalie no. and bench him. Um, so Hank's going to be in there, and I don't know if he's in a good place right now. At the other end of the rink, it's Carey Price. Um, that factor alone, I think, is going to have a massive influence on this series. And even if you think it's close, I think that's a great tiebreaker, Carey, Carey Price over Henrik Lundqvist. Yeah. I've The thing with the Rangers is that I've seen them live a few times and even just watching on TV, and I'm blown away by their speed, by their skill, and their depth in terms of how many lines can jump over the boards and actually attack, not just, you know, be decent defensively and then get off and come back on. They got at least three lines that can come at you. And I guess maybe I'm a little blinded by that in, in terms of uh, Carey Price, Henrik Lundqvist situation, but I just think the, the Canadians just won't be able to handle that. Like I, I wrote down uh, the, the, where their forwards ended up in the regular season. Zuccarello, 59 points. JT Miller, 56. Stepan, 55. Kreider, 53. Haynes, 49. Grabner, 40. And then, you know, Zabinajad, Nash, and VC. That that top nine is, there's no, like, you know, names that absolutely scream at you, but a lot of quality offensive players. And I just, when you look at the Penguins of last year and their speed and skill and how that just took them from, uh, you know, borderline contenders to just blowing away the East and then winning the Cup, I see a little bit of Pittsburgh in them. Obviously, you know, there's no Crosby and Malkin there, but I just... I can't kind of get past that and and, and go into the Montreal side. And especially because Montreal's center, I think I I looked it up today, Philip Daniel, Thomas Pocanic, Andrew Shaw, and Steve Ott are their centers. At least right now, I know Galchenyuk plays center too, but the center position is an issue in Montreal. And I don't know if that's going to come in to play in the first round, but I don't know how far they go with, with their forward group. Yeah, I, I think you're right there, John. I mean, to me, if there is a definitive advantage for the Rangers in the series, it's at forward. And that's why I have the series going seven games. The Rangers are one of the deepest teams in the NHL at forward, maybe the deepest in the East. I think maybe Minnesota is the deepest in the West. 
um, they have so many lines that can hurt you. And you have, you know, Michael Grabner scored 27 goals from the third line. And, and he was making up for all those breakaway <laughs> misses in Toronto last year. It was like, it's, it's a yeah. perfect example of the percentages evening out. I mean, it's true. Is he what he is this year? Probably not. Is he what he was last year in terms of never being able to score? Probably not. He's probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Like he scored 27 goals this year. He's probably more of a 20 goal scorer, but anyways, here he is. And, Blazing speed, as always. Yeah, I think that's about right. And, and it's interesting you mentioned Pittsburgh, too, because I, I see some similarities. I see it in the speed, absolutely. Um, but where I think the teams differ is the possession numbers. Pittsburgh was elite. The Rangers are weak. And I think where that comes from is, aside from Ryan McDonough, the Rangers' defense core, uh, I mean, Brady, Brady Shea as well. But young yeah. Brady Shea made strides this year, good rookie season. He got sent he, down at one point. Yeah, but he, I think he's finally there. Yeah. For, and good, good draft pick. Uh, 2012, end of the first round. But aside from those two, I don't think the Ranger defenseman pushed the play very well, um, and the Rangers struggle in the possession game, whereas Montreal is much better, and I think Montreal has a good advantage on the blue line as well with Shea Weber and Andre Markov and Jeff Petrie, and I think they're a pretty deep group. And they added guys like, you know, Jordy Ben, and, uh, you know, Jordy Ben's not a world beater, but they've got some depth there. Um, and I, I think the Habs have crucial advantages at two of the three positions, and that's why I still lean toward them in seven games all right before you convince me to come over to the dark side <laughs> we'll go on to the uh to the last series and then after that we'll we'll talk some award picks because uh you, you seem very excited about that last comment <laughs> we'll do yeah pittsburgh and columbus uh i have a feeling we probably agree on this uh pittsburgh and six is what i'm saying Okay, I've got Pittsburgh in seven. I mean, I've called this, I've labeled this one everywhere the unfair series because it's the NHL divisional format thing that puts oh, yeah, two of terrible. the top four teams in the league against each other. Um, Pittsburgh, you know, they don't have Chris Letang. Uh, I think that's a that's a major factor, and I think that's why the series is going to be close. I think it's going to be a dogfight. And part of the reason why I picked Washington to win the Cup is that they're going to play the winner of this series, which is going to be just a war. You're going to have the Brandon Dubinsky versus Sidney Crosby, and the, I think there's going to be a lot of bad blood in this series. Um, I still trust Pittsburgh because you look at what they can do. You drop Connor Sherry onto the first line. You drop J Jake Gunsell onto the first line, and they play with Crosby. It doesn't matter who you put in there. Brian Rust. Every guy, every one of those fours posts numbers, and I think it's, it's really a product of Coach Mike Sullivan's system. It's all about the north-south puck moving and using the speed and just peppering the other net with shots, and it just seems to work. Um, I don't know if Pittsburgh's going to go all the way because uh, losing Latang is massive, um, but this is, they're still a great team, and you've still got Crosby. You've got Jenny Malkin coming back in, in time for the start of the playoffs. Um, I think they can handle Columbus. Um, Yes, Sergei Bobrovsky is, I think, the best goalie in the world this year. I think he deserves to win the Vezina Trophy. Um, but Matt Murray is no slouch either. He won the Stanley Cup last year, and I think he was borderline top five this year in terms of goalies as well. So it's not like Columbus has a massive edge in goaltending, and Murray is the more experienced playoff goalie, having won the Cup last year. Um, but again, a lot of talent on both sides. Uh, I think it's going to be a war. Like, I think it's going to be the hardest-fought first-round series for sure. Yeah, my first thought when I started looking at this series was poor Columbus, first of all, because if they're not in this crazy playoff format, they have a much easier opposition and can just, you know, they can actually win a series for once. And then they're against Pittsburgh, and it's sort of like Connor McDavid and Edmonton with Sidney Crosby and Pittsburgh. How do you count out them out in the first round? Okay, when it goes later, then you start looking a little deeper, but a guy like Sidney Crosby can carry a team from start to finish of a of a round and you know he obviously has Malkin and the Latang injury is it's it's huge like it can't be understated so I I thought about that and I'm going okay does this give Columbus enough room to to push the envelope here but uh, 
I mean, I think the Penguins are going to be in trouble next round, but I think they've got this down pat. Even if even if Crosby is limited, I think they just have too many weapons. And like you said, the goaltending probably cancels each other out. Bobrovsky is, yes, uh, having a better year, but Matt Murray has done nothing but you know show that he's one of the better goalies in the world already. It's so true. And, and you know... It- it's interesting to think about last year because, you know, in, during that Stanley Cup run, the Penguins did have Chris Letang. But what that defense corps was known for behind Letang was being a motley crew of sort of ragtag guys. And Brian Dumoulin and Ian Cole and, you know, Justin Schultz picked up off the scrap heap. Um, Trevor Daly, you know, again, picked up off the scrap heap because he wasn't working out in Chicago. But under Sullivan's system, it was designed that you took all these defensemen and you minimized the puck time on their stick and they just, boom, fire the puck up the, up the ice, stretch passes to all those speedy forwards. Um, and you can just keep using that system without Latang. It's sort of deploying the same thing. It's not like Latang was on the ice every shift during the playoffs last year. And Sullivan managed to get that entire decor working harmoniously. Um, and I think that system's still going to work, at least in round one. I think it's going to be enough to put P- Pittsburgh past Columbus. I didn't realize until today when I looked at it, but Phil Kessel had 70 points this year. I actually had a really good year. I think, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's something like 15 players that hit 70 points. I might be wrong, but it's it's a small amount. And, I mean, how many times did you hear about Phil Kessel during the year? That wasn't about, you know, him being pranked or or whatever. It's so true. And, I mean, the weird thing about Kessel is that he's kind of reinvented himself. You know, you think of him as a Leaf, as the guy that was firing the puck every time it touched his stick, um, and very effectively. But now he's become a playmaker in Pittsburgh. And it just kind of, it's a testament to how talented Kessel really is. He can do a lot more than just fire the puck. Yes, he'll never, he'll never be able to complete a one-timer, apparently. That's <laughs> fine, though. He's got great hands. He's got great speed. And he, he's a really underrated passer. And I think you're seeing that. You've seen that a lot this year. Um, and it wasn't me who said it, but I, it, was a, it was a writer last year. I'm pretty sure it was Dan Rosen of NHL.com okay, who yeah. pointed out before the season that uh, Kessel was not necessarily going to work on a line with Malkin and Crosby uh, last year because they all three were puck carriers. Um, and you saw Kessel blossom with the HBK line last year because he got to be the puck carrier as well. And it just sort of established, I know Kessel's played you know, with Malkin or Crosby sometimes or yeah. with Malkin this year, but it, it just showed us um, that Pittsburgh has the advantage of versatility. You can move Kessel down to the third line if you need to, and then all of a sudden he becomes the quarterback, the equivalent of the puck-carrying center on that line. Um, and that versatility makes Pittsburgh just so dangerous. Well, let's face it, it's a top nine league now. It's not about what's in your top six, and then you worry about the bottom six later kind of thing. It's what what's in your top nine, and then you know you fill your fourth line out with prospects or you know the odd tough guy. But you know Kessel's a perfect example of a guy who was a star or a cornerstone on another team, really relied upon, goes somewhere else, and he's a quote unquote third line player, but super effective. Still puts up a ton of points. He might not be playing as many minutes or in in you know intense situations, but it's just worked out. And I, I don't know Pittsburgh. You you got to kind of hang your or not hang your hat, tip your hat, <laughs> tip your hat to them <laughs> that they've figured out this whole speed skill three lines it, it's as you know well it's a copycat league and they did it last year they're doing it this year again and it continues to work well it's funny you mentioned that too because uh i was talking to mike selvin two weeks ago and he said you know when i took over the team last year the first thing i wanted to do was establish an identity i wanted when all 29 other teams played us i wanted wanted them to describe the pittsburgh penguins the same way and know who we are and he'd, he'd uncovered speed as the sort of cornerstone of that identity and he established that this year. So it was very fascinating the way he sort of 
implemented that. And then speaking of copycat league, he told me that he really thinks, and he said, hey, it's copycat league because we're in the era when you can you can watch practices, you can watch anything. There's, there's yeah, video of so everything, available. right? So he does feel this year like teams have studied the Penguins and are kind of copying their style. Yeah, well, if you just think of hockey at a fundamental level, skating is the most important. If you have 20, 20 guys who can skate like the wind and aren't falling all over themselves by the time they get the puck, good things are going to happen. I think they, they figured that out pretty quickly. All right, um, so that's the Eastern Conference. Uh, we agreed to disagree on a few. Let's see how we do with award picks. So I think I'm going to throw out two that have been unanimous pretty much across the board. Uh, Connor McDavid, Hart, and uh, Austin Matthews, Calder. Do you disagree? I agree with both. Um, I think there are interesting cases to be made on the Hart side for Sidney Crosby and for Eric Carlson. Crosby, just the argument, the best player, all-around player. Carlson, most valuable to his team. But McDavid combines both of those things. McDavid is, at worst, a top-two player in the world right now. And he was just, he was so valuable to the Oilers. He he carried the team. And I don't care what anyone says. Cam Talbot was great this year. Leon Dreisaitl was great. But the Oilers do not make the playoffs without Connor McDavid. He absolutely was the engine driving that team. So to me, he chucks off every box. He's the Hart Trophy winner, absolutely. And same goes for Matthews. He really pulled away. I mean, I know there are a lot of people that were in the Line A camp. But Patrick Line um, was less of a complete player. I mean, there's a natural bias toward the center, Matthews. Yeah. But, but Line, I mean, if you look at his numbers, he... Was not He didn't grade out as a great defensive player. He scored 36 goals, but he was playing with Mark Shifley. Mark Shifley is an elite center. Uh, and Line A also was prone to major cold spells. Matthews had a few, but Line A had more, in my opinion. Um, so to me, especially with that, that great push at the end of the season to 40 goals, um, I think Matthews is going to run away with the Calder now. Yeah, the Calder was tight for, well, there was like an ongoing debate for six months. But by the end of, I guess, uh, February, when you got into March and... Matthews was inching closer to 40 goals. You went, considering the context of him playing with Zach Hyman and Connor Brown for most of the year. Now he's got Nylander on his wing. That's a, a very good player. But nevertheless, a, you know, they're all rookies. Um, that That's a huge, like, that's number one bullet point on on the discussion why Matthews is, is his teammates, or his linemates, I should say. And, uh, you know, even the Leafs making the playoffs, that's a huge thing. Uh, and just, he's become a franchise player so quickly and has had so few glaring mistakes, you know, over a whole 82 games that I just, I'm, I'm sure lining will get first place votes, but there's not going to be many. I think it's more or less unanimous. Yeah. I think at this point it wouldn't be in the case a month ago, but I think the first place votes for line are going to come from Manitoba. And I don't think they're going to come <laughs> from many other places. Um, and the thing about Matthews is even more so than, you know, Matthew Kachuk or Mitch Marner, William Nylander, Sebastian Ajo, it, it's a great rookie class. But but Matthews had the ability to take over a game because he was strong at both ends of the ice. And I'm not saying that he's the same player as Pavel Datsuk, but he showed some things this year that reminded me of Pavel Datsuk in the sense that Matthews would lose the puck, double back, steal the puck right back, immediately get a shot on goal, steal it again grab his own rebound. He had the ability that reminded me of Datsuk to just constantly retrieve the puck. And his stick is so active. And it's funny, I'm acting it out right now <laughs> with my hands. But <laughs> Well, I, let me jump in. I think if you go back to game one, he showed it perfectly when he scored that goal on the Senators in his four-goal game. It's hard to sort of explain it, but he steals the puck, goes the other way, dangles, scores. Like he's just, he's all over the place and he's hungry when he loses the puck. And he has all the stick skills the hockey IQ, it all just sort of comes together when he's attacking the other players on defense and then when he's attacking on 
on offense. It's true. And it's interesting to me because, um, I mean, Patrick Laine is going to be an elite goal scorer. He yeah, already he already has, is. Yeah, he already is. Uh, and he reminds me of Ovechkin in terms of where he shoots from. You know, the big one-timer, the big release from the slot. But what I found interesting about Matthews is that He's so tricky. He doesn't even get himself set. It's as soon as the puck touches the stick, he's not even necessarily looking yeah. at the net. He just flings it repeatedly, just firing pucks constantly from weird angles, uh, and he gets a decent decent mustard on that release. Um, but to me, he's a fascinating player in that sense. He's, he doesn't... You know, if you look at the highlights of his goals, they're all they're weird. They're all different. They're, whereas you like look deflect at Deflect off of a skate or yeah. from, you know, the goal line, and they're on purpose, but... But he finds ways to score. Yeah. He, just the puck is gone as soon as it's on his stick. Whereas if you look at a line A highlight reel, it's beautiful to watch, but it's very similar. A lot of the goals are just that that trademark release. I can't wait for next year and, and the debate to start all over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, if only there was a sophomore award. Yeah, Best yeah, sophomore. We should invent one. That's right. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I think this next one might be the most argued, at least online, uh, the Norris. I'm going to throw out three names and maybe you want to throw out someone else, but... Uh, Hedman, Carlson, Burns. Are those the finalists? And then who would you pick? Yeah, I think those are the finalists. Um, I think I give it to Eric Carlson. I mean, Brent Burns, it looked like, you know, as far back as January, February, Burns was having a monster season, and he still led the league in shots when the season was That's finished. That's just crazy if you think about wild. it. Yeah, with, with Ovechkin in the league, too. It's crazy. It's a throwback to Ray Bork. Um, but Burns, I mean, we can't ignore the fact Burns just didn't go a little cold down the stretch. Like, he fell off a cliff. His production fell off a cliff. Um, and Carlson had the offensive numbers to match him at the end, and I just think Carlson did so much. He just carried his team, um, and you look at the impact when he's not on the ice. He controls the game, and for all the people that criticize Carlson and say he's weak defensively, he was in the league leaders in in takeaways, which is crazy for a defenseman because forwards are the guys, usually top defensemen in the league, like Burns and Carlson, are in the league leaders in giveaways because yeah, they have the puck so much. Course. But for a defenseman to be up there in takeaways – is is crazy to me and obviously Carlson finished second in the league in block shots he did a little bit of everything um I think he's the best defenseman in the world uh, so I would put him first I put Burns second because Burns was still still had a banner year um and Victor Hedman to me somehow he's still underrated he's a dominant player he, he has does 70 everything. points this year yeah he's just a phenom out there and I, I think you know the fact that Tampa Bay didn't make the playoffs it's obviously not his fault but it, it might cost him some votes I see him sliding down to that third spot um, a few other like, to me to me those three are pretty entrenched. Yeah. Um. So it's it's almost more interesting to talk about who else might squeeze in there as a finalist. Um. One guy I was looking at was Mark Giordano in Calgary. I think he had a really great comeback season. He and Dougie Hamilton formed a dynamite pair. Uh. At the same time, I think they're going to split the vote between each other. Yeah. So yeah. For that reason, I still see Hedman getting that third spot. Hamilton landing there though, that's a huge coup for uh for Calgary in hindsight. It is, yeah. And I mean, I don't know what the talk was about trading Hamilton. It, it's just as absurd as the talk of <laughs> trading William Nylander. Get out of here, yeah, you it's... clickbait bastard. <laughs> wow, you seem really angry. It's just, come on. <laughs> come on. The hand gestures and everything. Yeah, it's true. I'm waving my hands a lot right now. <laughs> okay, so what about Jack Adams if we go a little off the board to the coach? Man, that that one. Can oh, I throw out some finalists and yeah, then we can go from yeah, there? Yeah, sure. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux. John Tortorella, Mike Babcock, those are the ones I've seen most. And originally, I was on the John Tortorella bandwagon for maybe 80% of the season. But then when the Leafs made the playoffs and you looked at what Mike Babcock actually accomplished with seven to nine rookies every night in the lineup, 
it doesn't matter that you know they're super skilled and that it all kind of came together as a perfect storm. He was a, a huge part of that. He, he reeled them in when they needed to be reeled in. Like William Nylander is a perfect example. He was lecturing him in the media, you know, read between the lines a lot at the beginning of the season, and then towards the end, he's well, one uh, Nylander was producing a lot, and two, he was starting to play better defense. So Babcock gave him more ice time, like stuff like that, where he's kind of. Uh, he's just identified how he's just, I don't know. He's a good coach. He, he, he knows how to deal with the different personalities and it really shown through this year in terms of having all those rookies and making it happen and, and just clinching a playoff spot. It, it's one of those things where Tortorella had done so well throughout the year and Columbus tailed off towards the end a bit. And I think that that soured me. And then Babcock rose and, when you look at them objectively now, you go, Babcock probably had a bigger influence and had less to work with. Yeah, I mean, to me, the Jack Adams is going to be the tightest race. And I do think at this point it is going to come down to, tor- to Torts versus Babcock. I think Minnesota went cold down the stretch, um, and they were already a playoff team last year, And even though Bruce Boudreau had a, had a strong impact. Um, I think that puts them slightly out of the race. I think Glenn Gullitson in Calgary is another good sleeper because Calgary, they changed the way they played under Gullitson. They were that team everyone whipped on that were that was horrible in possession. They became a good possession team this year. So I think Gullitson isn't going to win, but he he would be a deserving winner. Um, and I feel bad for Torts because the thing about Columbus is they didn't turn over their roster much at all last year. I mean, the only difference, you had Sam Gagne added to the team. Uh, you had Zach Wierenski join the team as a rookie. But for the most part, that's the same team. And Sergei Bobrovsky told me this maybe three or four months ago, that the team knew Tortorella a lot better this year. They felt a lot more bonded, bonded to him. And he's sort of that military-style coach that when he's on, before he wears out his welcome, which he yeah. will, he, he always does. <laughs> That'll probably happen. Yeah, guys go to war with him. He's their drill sergeant. Um, so to me, he's such a huge part of their identity that he's a deserving winner. At the same time, it's it's just so hard to ignore what Babcock did relative to the expectations for the Leafs. I mean, they were the worst team in the entire league last year. And like you said, all those rookies, that, that really falls on a coach to get them playing at such a high level. Um, and like, it, okay, let's let's cancel out Matthews and Marner and Nylander. He, he still had a handful of rookies that yeah. he needed to somehow get a lot of juice out of and Nikita and he, and he Zaitsev did. and yeah. Nikita Zaitsev with the language barrier, you know, coming over from the KHL and playing top pair minutes. Um, to me, I think Babcock is going to steal it, especially if you look at the history of the Jack Adams Award. Um, and it's funny, no mention of Joel Quenville, of course. No. Right? Yeah, that, no that, mention of Barry Trotz, but it, because the award typically it goes to the cutest, most adorable story, and it, right? It's the, <laughs> yeah, it's no, the coach of the absolutely. most improved team. Let, let's be honest. Yeah. They may as well rename it the coach of the team that makes a shocking improvement, right? But because it's so hard otherwise to sort of juggle like expectations mm-hmm. versus performance, if Washington going into the season is considered one of the best teams, then they are one of the best teams. Right. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. Obviously, there's been good coaching there, but how do you sort of quantify how you, Yeah, it? how do you quantify the impact? Whereas you can sort of do it circumstantially with Team X is bad, new coach comes in, Team X is suddenly yeah. good, right? So you can, it sort of at least appears that there's a big impact from the coach. Um, so yeah, I think Babcock is going to, he's going to steal it. Not steal it, just take it. Is yeah, yeah. The right word, yeah. Oh, torts. And I, I like uh, Eric Francis brought this up uh, yesterday. He goes, one thing that Tortorella has working against him is that, uh, oh, wait, I, it's, it's the broadcasters that vote on it, right? It is. Either way, you know, Tortorella rubs people, some people the wrong way. So Babcock maybe is a little more chummy. He's still not, you know, liked universally, but 
that plays into it. You know, Eric said there's a human element to it, and I think Babcock has a few more fans than uh, than Tortorella in the media. So, mm-hmm. um, Selkie, do you have have you? Well, I guess you have figured out. I have. Yeah, yeah my ballot is cast. Uh, uh, the the three that I came across the most, and uh, there might be more out there: uh, Bergeron, Backlund, and uh, Kessler. Yeah, all three. Actually, those are my top three. So, okay. bang, there you go. I think Miko Koivu is going to get some consideration right, yep. too. I think Jordan Stahl had a great year too. Um, but Patrice Bergeron, it's like, come on, guys. Let's not overthink this one. He should have won it last year too. <laughs> and even by Patrice Bergeron's standards, his possession numbers were even higher than expected. He just dominates the game. He's one of the greatest defensive forwards to ever play the game. He's up there with Bob Gainey and Pavel Datsuk. Um, it's Bergeron. And to me... If Bergeron doesn't win, it's just people trying to be cute and overthinking it. Um, Ryan Kessler had a great year, and he played really tough minutes, high quality of competition, killed a lot of penalties. I think he'd be a very deserving finalist. And same with Miko Koivu, because Koivu, uh, that line in Minnesota with Granlund and Jason Zucker, they always are out there against the other team's best players. And they were still an effective offensive line, right? So it showed. They were really they were a great line this year. Um, but and, it's got to be Bergeron. Yeah, and Backlund's sort of the hipster pick where – He's had great underlying numbers for years, and now he's finally producing offense and still taking care of his own end. So I know there's a lot of support for him. I just don't know how far that reaches across the mainstream. Yeah, I mean, to me, Backlund deserves absolutely that support, and he's been a very underrated player for a long time. But in this case, I mean, in a Patrice Bergeron-dominated world, just being a finalist would be, that would be the respect for Backlund. That would be the sort of tip of the cap. Um, but just because he's been a great defensive center, which he absolutely has been, does not make him Patrice Bergeron. And I think it's just Bergeron is just so head and shoulders above everyone. Uh, he deserves it. But hats off to Backlund because uh, he's a phenomenal defensive forward. And it's nice to see him getting recognition. That line with Fralik and Matthew Kachuk, that's Calgary's best line. And even though, I mean, I know this is the Eastern Conference prediction uh, podcast, <laughs> but even, even though Calgary, you know, I think they're going to lose that series to Anaheim, I'm excited to see what that line can do in a playoff series. Yeah, just going to, or Kachuk in general, just watching him in more of a, a gritty environment, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. And he's just, he's one of those, he's like a throwback player, but he's also so skilled that you just, you you gravitate towards him when you're watching him on TV. Um, and with Bergeron, uh, I, I know Boston has great possession numbers. So I'm like, okay, so what are things like when he's off the ice versus on? And it's like a crazy percentage. It goes way up when Bergeron's on. So that says a lot right there when your team's already doing okay on the shot clock and then you get thrown off the boards and it just skyrockets. Um, I think all that we have left is Lady Bing. Am I? <laughs> oh, the Vesna. Yes, the Vesna. Uh Bobrovsky is up there. Price will get votes. Uh, Dubnik. Am I missing anyone? Braden Holby. Braden Holby. So who's who's your winner? I think it's going to come down. I mean, it's the GMs that are going to pick this one. But uh, I think the two guys that have separated themselves from the pack are Bobrovsky and Holby. Um, but to me, it really should be Bobrovsky. Holby's been phenomenal. But if you look at the metrics, I mean, the, the surface stats, the stats that everyone knows about, you know, save percentage, things like that, Bobrovsky was great. All season. Yeah, he led, he led, I'm pretty sure he led the league in save percentage. Yeah, he led the league in save percentage. But then if you if you want to dive into the deeper numbers, the you know, low danger save percentage, medium danger, high danger save percentage, his numbers were fantastic. And I mean Craig Anderson had great numbers there too, but Anderson's sample size was like yeah, half the I size. think he played forty games. Yeah, so imagine if Anderson played almost double those games yeah. and and maintained that level of excellence. And Bobrovsky did that. He was such a workhorse. Um so to me, 
he really deserves to win the award. He was just the best all-around goalie. Uh, Devin Dubnik had a great start to the season, but he just steadily tailed off. Whereas Bobrovsky also started great, started to tail off a bit, and then he ramped it back up. Well, I'm pretty sure he played every game in that crazy streak they had, too. At yeah. least, at least you know, he maybe didn't play one or two games out of 18 or 19, whatever it was. But, like, that's that's stamina. And to go out and put in a quality start every every time is pretty phenomenal. And, Whenever I hear high danger, low danger, medium danger, those sort of underlying uh, stats for goalies, it reminds me of Corey Crawford because whenever I go to those stats, he ranks so highly, but then he gets just ripped in general because his, well, I mean, his save percentage is usually decent, like average or above average, but he just has such a stigma that he's not a good goaltender. He's been, you know, carried by the Hawks. But, I mean, if you're high danger, save percentage is really high, that means you're a very good goalie because you're saving the shots that you're probably not supposed to save. Yeah, that's right. I do think Corey Crawford is a very underrated goalie, one of the most underrated goalies of his generation. And I, I don't know if it's because that one Stanley Cup final where people were talking about his glove <laughs> hand. And I mean, he has been, you know, he was spelled by Scott Darling a couple of years ago in that Nashville series too, and Darling did really well. Um, so it sort of looks like, you know, oh, is it, it's kind of like when Scott Clemenson came in behind Romero in New Jersey a few throwback. years back. Yeah, it's like, oh, is it the goalie or the system? But I don't think that's fair to Crawford. He's a, he's a great goaltender. To me, he's he, he never quite elevates to that that elite tier where he's going to win the Vezina, but he's just he's just rock solid. Yeah, like uh, second tier, right at the top of the second tier. Sort For of sure. Goal. And he's been consistent over however many years. Um, I think we're on oh, a Lady Bing. Do you do you have an opinion on the Lady Bing? Yeah, you know what? I got something to say <laughs> about the Lady Bing. Yeah, I've, I've never really heard an impassioned plea about the Lady Bing. Yeah. Everybody, let's start giving the damn award to some defenseman, please. That'd be cool. One defenseman has won the award in the last 54 years. Wait, so you do have a, an impassioned plea about yes. this? Yes. Okay, I was And I joking. don't understand. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I'm serious. So why do more defensemen not win the Lady Bing? It's so much harder to play clean hockey when you're the defender, when it's your job to separate the opponent from the puck. The fact that one defenseman, Brian Campbell, is the only guy in the last 54 years to win it is ludicrous to me. Um, and that's why I'm hoping to see a guy like Oscar Clefbaum. I think he had like six penalty minutes playing top pair minutes. Yeah, that's insane. How do you do that, right? How do you play top pair minutes in the NHL? And just by sheer, just the amount of times you crash into another person, yeah. even by accident, you think you'd be, you'd, your stick would go up and hit somebody in the face. Um, so for that reason, I would like to see an Oscar Clefbaum or even a Jacob Slavin, a guy who put up really good defensive numbers and and somehow did it without taking any penalties or hardly any penalties at all um to me that's so much more impressive than being a forward whose job is to sort of avoid the contact possibly dart yeah. around the defenseman yeah. right um so here's hoping that a defenseman gets it this year i hadn't really looked into it but you know off the top of my head it's like when is where are these defensemen and why are they not like it's just it's sort of a forward award for no apparent reason it's yeah. not like it says it has to be the forward that's most gentleman gentlemanly yeah. player whatever the wording is i don't understand i never will <laughs> but it's in general how do you assess the war the award do you just sort of sort by penalty minutes and then start going from there i think that's the starting point yeah i, I think you're gonna you sort by penalty minutes you start with the bottom and then you start looking for guys who played full seasons so right of course you're looking at you know zero penalty minutes two four six and then you as soon as you see an 82 whoa this guy played a full season that's sort of a starting point and then then i, I want to know what kind of minutes the guy played right you know so jason pominville uh is a is a guy who always has low penalty minutes but he's playing on the third line um, and he's not a physical player. He's sort of a guy who's not in the trenches. He's like a peripheral player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and nothing against Pommelville. Just sort of that's just his right. game, right? Um, so to to me, him not getting very many penalty minutes is not nearly as impressive as a top pair defenseman who somehow finds a way 
to get the job done without getting his hands uh, illegally dirty. <laughs> illegally dirty. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> no, I, I like that. It, it yeah, makes sense. Dirty in it the just wrong way. Sounds you can get him dirty in the right way by just playing physical hockey. Yeah. but illegally, I mean, yeah, I guess it does sound kind of just something about it, it sounds yeah, weird. I think you're right. <laughs> but Clef Bomb, that's that's a revelation. I'm gonna have to go uh, look into his numbers. Johnny Goudreau jumped off the page when I like I I spent probably ten minutes looking at this. I don't I don't have a vote on the Lady Bing, so I just looked at it, and I think he played like seventy two games and four penalty minutes. I mean, you're not expecting him to get a lot, but if you can do that, you're at least you know in consideration uh, in some way, shape, or form. For sure, I think I think Johnny Goudreau's a guy who's going to be a major contender for the Lady Bing, and same with Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, just according to the traditional way of voting for the award. Um, and bo- those two guys jump out uh, to me in that sense because they take a lot of abuse. I mean, we saw those videos, those YouTube videos of Gaudreau when he got his finger broken, taking like 21 slashes in the same game. Um, it's insane. Yeah, you're sort of a marked man. Same with Tarasenko, Michael Granlund as well. Um, and to take that much abuse and not not retaliate because that's you know that's where you get those penalty minutes. Uh, it's also an impressive thing. So I could see the argument for a guy like Johnny Gaudreau for sure. I think we're done with the, with the awards. It's hard to off the top of your head to think of all of them. There's so many. The Jennings, who you got? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty easier. year. You might do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for your time, Matt. And how can people find your fine work, aside from the Hockey News Magazine? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at THN Matt Larkin, and that's where people go to uh, say mean stuff to me about my eyebrows wow. and, and hair and you about know. your eyebrows and hair yeah that's how it's how people do it it's the life it's, it's, it's the hockey twitter i guess life. it could be worse they could be making fun of other things yeah for sure i'm okay with it i'm at peace my, my skin is thickened over the years and you actually have your own podcast i do yeah it's the hockey news podcast there you go it's just pretty straight up the way since, it's named since whoever's listening to this uh is listening to a podcast you might want to listen to his as well i'll yeah, plug that right. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to be into podcast listener all right thanks a lot matt hey thanks for having me man Oh,